0: This week, a more than century old murder in the town of Bucksport still has residents giving conflicting stories about what actually happened to the victim. But if you ask anyone about her, chances are they'll either tell you about the mystery behind her death or the one behind her grave. Take a look.
1: I grew up. Hearing about it, knowing about it. After dark, nobody wanted to go near Miles Lane. It's one of those stories that everybody tells.
0: A nearly 118-year-old murder case that remains unsolved to this day still haunts the town of Bucksport. A woman brutally murdered. Her name, Sarah Ware.
1: You can accept it or be stupid and be a skeptic. Unconceivable, unbelievable. <laughs> Unidentified flying an object. <laughs> Wanted.
0: Welcome to the "I Want to Believe" podcast. This is the second bonus episode of season five. I'm No More Slavic. This particular episode runs the gamut between true crime, the paranormal, and an on site visit to a reportedly haunted area. But before we get into all of that, I wanted to give a quick reminder that all of our I Wanna Believe social media and email are in the show notes. My latest book, We Only Come Out at Night, is available for purchase. This book is a collection of short horror stories and can be found online at slavicstore.company.site. You can also find that and some of my other works at the Greenhand Bookshop in Portland, Maine. Also, a really cool announcement, my documentary Otherworldly Amore has found a new home. On April 2nd, Otherworldly Amore will be streaming exclusively on Paraflix Paranormal Plus. Natalie Jones and the good folks at Paraflix took a chance on your boy, and I hope you'll head over there and show some support. Their service is $3.99 per month, or $34.99 per year, and gives you access to not only my documentary, but hundreds of other paranormal shows, documentaries, and more. Check the show notes for links. The small town of Bucksport, Maine sits nestled along the Penobscot River, and just around 5,000 people call this small hamlet their home. A little over a stone's throw away as the crow flies is the historic site of Fort Knox. The town's once bustling paper industry has since given way to small businesses, outdoor recreation, and has started to utilize its reportedly haunted history. The story we're covering on this episode begins in the late 19th century. Let's get into the life, murder, and the potential hauntings of
1: Sarah Ware. In 1898, Maine had less than a million inhabitants, and the only cities were small in comparison with the neighboring states. And Even today, it's a place of long distances, of varied customs and terrain. In 1898, everyone knows everyone else, and everyone seems to know everyone else's business, too. Darkness has fallen over the September night, as the half-moon rises and the stars begin to fill the sky over Penobscot Bay. Sometimes, the night falls so deeply here, in this main hamlet, that it seems like the sun might never rise again. It is a darkness full of potential. Your name is Sarah Ware. And soon, very soon, something quite terrible will happen.
0: The USS Maine was a battleship commissioned in 1895. By 1898, it set out to Havana Harbor to, quote, protect U.S. interests during the Cuban War of Independence, end quote. On February 15th, 1898, the USS Maine sank in the waters of Havana, killing over three quarters of its crew. American journalists claimed that Spain was responsible, and that reporting was seen as an acceleration to the start of the Spanish-American War. A rallying cry of, remember the main to hell with Spain, broke out around the nation. It was claimed that it was struck by a Spanish mine. However, during that time by some in the Navy and during a subsequent naval inquiry during the 1970s, it was found to have been a terrible accident. The ship's magazines were ignited by a fire in the coal bunker on the ship. Despite that alternate information, suspicions still surround that 1898 event. That same year, Another tragic event would occur, this time in the state of Maine. It has also sparked suspicions to this day. A lot of the information for this episode comes from the book In Search of Sarah Ware Reinvestigating Murder and Conspiracy in a Maine Village by Emrick Spooner. Sarah Ware was born Sarah MacDonald in Nova Scotia in 1846. The family was poor, and her parents hoped for a better life for their daughter. Sarah often thought of the United States as a whimsical place, and as she grew older, her parents encouraged her to follow her dreams and move across the border. During the 1860s, she did just that. She wound up in Bucksport, Maine. She fell in love with the small town, and soon after... She fell in love with a local man. Charles W. Ware was a successful undertaker, having inherited the family business from his father. He and Sarah wed in 1869. She was 25. Charles was 23. They brought a daughter into the world a few years later and two more children in the following years. Tragically, their firstborn passed away in 1890. She was only 18 years old. Life was difficult during this time, but her and Charles did their best to raise their two younger children. As they grew into adulthood, Sarah knew her time with them would soon be ending, and when those days came, her and Charles grew apart. Actually, it hadn't really been the same with him since their daughter had passed away. Many thought they stayed together for the children, but in reality, divorce was looked down upon at that time, with a blatantly unfair societal blame on the woman. Despite that, Sarah was a strong, independent woman and decided to leave Charles. As time went on, she formed friendships and found work cleaning homes and taking care of children. She befriended a local tinsmith and stove maker named William Truerjee. She began working for him and moved in as a result, cleaning his house and taking care of his daughters. For a time, she was happy and was beginning to move on with her life. But all of a sudden, she quit working for William and moved out. Many in Bucksport thought that William made too many advances at Sarah and she wouldn't put up with it any longer and left. She never spoke of her reasons but found herself homeless and and unsure of what to do next. Almira Miles, a widower and friend to the Ware family, offered Sarah a room in her home. This was more of a kind gesture, but Sarah insisted she would clean and keep up the house in exchange. That was just fine with Almira, and the women enjoyed their time together. William's daughter stayed in touch with Sarah and visited her almost every Sunday. When William would come to pick them up later in the afternoon, he was often invited and stayed for dinner. As the years went on, Sarah finally felt a sense of peace in her life. She enjoyed her home with Almira and liked her solitary life with few close but good friends. On Saturday, September 17th, 1898, Sarah's day started with breakfast and some light cleaning of Almira's home. Outside, William and another man, Winfield Patterson, tended to Almira's garden. After lunch, Sarah had planned to go grocery shopping and was just about to leave when William knocked on the door and asked to speak with Almira. He wanted to discuss the vegetables that he and Winfield would be able to keep in exchange for their work. Sarah got Almira and the three of them spoke outside. Their conversation was pleasant and William thought Almira's offer was fair. She went back inside while Sarah stayed outside and continued speaking with William. Moments later, their conversation escalated to an argument. William never told what their argument was about, but Winfield, he seemed to think it involved a money dispute. After this, Sarah went back inside and William and Winfield left the property. A little while later, Almira and Sarah left the house together. They walked to a friend of Almira's and they all stayed and visited for a while. Sarah eventually left for the groceries, but returned around 6.30pm. She and Elmira went back home. After putting the groceries away, Sarah washed up a bit and changed as she decided to go out and visit with her friend John Bolduck. As the night was cool and the weather a bit turned, Elmira lightly protested her not to go out. Sarah explained that she would be just fine and left the house. She made her way through town, past the shops, pausing to look out at the water. She eventually arrived at John's house at around 8.15pm. They chatted for a time and eventually parted ways at 8.45pm. On her walk home, Sarah stopped by Fogg's General Store and purchased a couple of cigars she left the store and continued toward Almyra's. Witnesses testified to seeing her walk past their homes at around 9 p.m. The last time she was sighted, she was by a bridge and still heading home. That was around 9.15 p.m. After that, she was never seen alive again. Spooner says Ware's last stop before her home would have been the house of William Truergy, a man with a violent history.
1: He had a temper problem. You know, he's a real rough kind of character.
0: As the night wore on, Almira became concerned. By 1 a.m., she had convinced herself that Sarah must have stayed the night at Bolduc's or perhaps another friend's house. Sarah has been described as someone who keeps to herself, and she had been known to leave Almira's from time to time to keep house at another employer's or friend's home. She may be gone for a few days or even a few weeks, and often did not communicate this to Almira or really anyone. Almira understood that's just how Sarah was, but she still worried about her friend. The next day, she asked William Churji if he could go over to John Bolduck's and check up on her. He said he would, and later reported back to Amira and told her that no one had been home.
1: No one has seen her since the storeholders sold her that cigarillo before closing. Then, as now, people did disappear. They moved on, they took to the road without telling anyone of their passing. Even today, that kind of disappearance might not seem unusual, except that, well, people know her so well, that she's part of their lives, and she's been there for years. I mean, surely someone must know something about where she went. For now, Sarah Ware is one of the missing.
0: Sarah was not reported missing right away. In fact, a little over a week went by, and while people noticed that she wasn't around, no report was made. Then the Blue Hill Fair began the following week after Sarah went missing. Almira was hoping she would find her there, but she didn't. No one did. William was there with his daughters, and a friend of Almira's asked him if she had sent him to Balduck's to check on Sarah. He said he did go, and no one was there. Following the fair, Williams was working at another woman's home when they had struck up a conversation about no one having seen Sarah in a while. William told her that Sarah had died and that a search party was going out to look for her body and that he was joining them. The woman, obviously concerned, questioned William about this and thought that Sarah was only possibly missing and didn't know that she had died. William quickly corrected himself and said that it was not confirmed, he had just assumed that she died. He then promptly left. This was on October 1st. That same day, shockingly, through only word of mouth, the deputy sheriff of Bucksport finally heard that Sarah Ware had been missing for the past two weeks. He quickly made his way to Elmira's and questioned her. Afterward, he began assembling volunteers to search for Sarah. John Baldock was one of them. William Truergy was not. Nothing was found that day, and the deputy sheriff and volunteers met the following morning to search again. Volunteers Wesley Webster, Frank Ducott, and Isaac Richardson searched in a pasture. As they walked and looked about, a foul odor struck them. As they followed the stench, they soon came upon the body of Sarah Ware. Emmerich Spooner wrote, quote, "Sarah was found at 10:45 a.m. that October 2nd, 1898. Wesley Webster was first to see her body." End quote. As word made its way through town, it seemed that most of Bucksport descended upon the pasture. The deputy phoned for more officers to help with the crowd and the investigation. Two weeks after she disappeared, Ware's body was found lying in the brush just off Miles Lane. As time wore on, people who saw Sarah that night or even if they simply knew her were questioned. While many people spoke highly of Sarah, not many knew her very well other than Almira. And even then, Almira admitted that Sarah had her secrets and did not open up to her very often. Her body was examined by four or more physicians and there were numerous discrepancies between them. For instance, one described the injuries as being accidental from possibly falling on a sharp rock or being trampled by an animal, while others said there was no accidental way in which she was injured and only a brutal murder brought about her death. Detectives questioned William Churgi. He denied any involvement, but a search of his shed produced a hammer and a tarp, both of which were stained with what looked like blood. William wasn't concerned about this, as he often used his shed to prepare livestock, but when medical examiners tested the items, they concluded that the blood was human. Whoever attacked Sarah showed no mercy. Her head was brutally bludgeoned and her throat was cut so severely that her head fell from her body when it was moved. In fact, her head would not rejoin her body until 1998. During the investigation and trial, it was held by a physician for evidence. After the trial, it was lost. It wasn't until the 1980s that it was recovered and given over to the Bucksport Historical Society. It eventually reunited with Sarah's body about 10 years after that. There were a few suspects in town, however, it was the damaging account from Joseph Fogg Jr. that landed William Truergy on trial for Sarah's murder. It was seen as the trial of the century, not only for Bucksport, but for the state of Maine. The murder and subsequent trial made headlines around the nation, including the New York Times. Now, back to Joseph. He admitted that William had asked him to help move Sarah's body from Miles Lane to the pasture where it was found. Newspapers from that time wrote, quote, Joseph Fogg Jr., testified that he went with Truergy, and they hauled the body from a point at the side of the Miles Lane to the pasture where it was found on the Sunday, October 2nd. The testimony of the witnesses fell like a pall over the people present. It almost completely dazed them, end quote. Joseph Fogg Jr.'s testimony reads in part, quote, I have lived in Bucksport three years, was in Rockport on the day of September 17th. After I returned from there, I saw Mr. Truergy. He asked me to go with him and do a job. We went over towards Mrs. Miles. He said he wanted me to move a body, and he said, If you ever mention this, you will go the same way. He had a piece of canvas on his wagon and we put the body on it and hauled it up the lane where Truergy pulled it off and left it in the pasture. When I left him to go home, he again said, You ever mention this and you'll go the same way. I said nothing because I was frightened." After Fogg Jr., another anticipated testimony came from the lead detective on the case, Dennis Tracy of Bangor. His testimony was succinct, professional, and included all the conversations he had with witnesses, Joseph Fogg Jr., and he tried to present evidence recovered from William's shed, but inexplicably, the hammer and tarp were lost. Detective Tracy nor anyone else had an answer for this, and the trial proceeded without it. Winfield Patterson, who was William Truergy's hired hand and with him on the day Sarah disappeared, gave compelling testimony on William's behalf. He claimed that he stayed the night at William's and at no time did he see or hear him do anything suspicious. He also claimed that his sleeping quarters were near the stables and he did not hear anything to indicate that William had left that night. The defense and William were quite pleased with his testimony.
1: Another hit to the prosecution was when Fogg Jr. recanted his statement. And then Joseph Fogg, the witness who claimed to have helped Treeward to dispose of Sarah's corpse, recanted his testimony, claiming that he had been forced to lie about his role in the case by the selectmen of the town of Bucksport and others. And then, just a few days
0: later, he recanted his recantment. His explanation for this? He was bullied by both sides, but swore under oath that his original statement of helping William was the truth. After four years, three stages of trial, and 56 witnesses, William Truergy's lawyer began his closing arguments. He impressed upon the jury that besides Joseph Fogg Jr.'s testimony, no one else had been able to tie the murder to William. He went on to remind the jury of the conflicting reports from witnesses and that whatever evidence had been collected was now not to be found. The prosecution's closing statements implored the jury to look at the evidence, to examine what witnesses had said, and to rule justly for the truth of the murder. Not many were impressed with their closing arguments. Soon after, the jury was sent to deliberate. The Ellsworth American reported the following on July 30th, 1902, in part, quote, When the jury announced that they had reached a verdict, Truergy was brought into court and took his seat in front. The attorneys were soon in their places and the jury filed to theirs. Justice Emery took his seat upon the bench almost instantly. The clerk of the court rose and addressed the foreman and said, Mr. Foreman, have you agreed upon a verdict? We have, sir, replied the foreman. And what say you, Mr. Foreman, guilty or not guilty? Not guilty, sir. And so say you all, gentlemen. There was a concerted nodding of 12 heads, and the Truergy verdict was a matter of record. End quote. After the trial, William was a free man, and he returned to Bucksport and moved on with his life. Everyone else did too. Sarah's murder remains unsolved to this day. However, the word around Bucksport, at least during that time, was that the murderer was put on trial and got away with it.
1: What we know about William Trewergy, the loss of the evidence, the bad blood between them, seems very likely that the fellow got away with murder. To the extent that this is still an unsolved murder in the state of Maine, this case remains active, but it's unlikely that Sarah Ware's murder will ever be solved in any official way.
0: Okay, that was a lot. Before moving on to the paranormal aspects of this episode, we're going to take a little break. I made a commercial for my latest book, and it was a whole lot of fun to do, so I hope you enjoy it. Here you go. An unfamiliar voice spoke from the other side of the door. Let me in. Her hand reflexively grasped the knob, unable to control her own movements. The door opened. A monstrous being stood before her. She gagged at its stench and fell to her knees. (laughs) It stood in the doorway. A black substance dripped from its body and puddled at its feet. It looked down at her and said, That's a good girl. Now aren't you going to invite me in? She shook her head back and forth as tears streamed from her eyes. It smiled a depraved grin revealing black, rotted teeth. It said, Still following daddy's advice about strangers. While well, he's in
1: hell, he burns over and over and over again.
0: We Only Come Out at Night, the brand new book from Nomar Slovak. 33 horror fiction stories that will remind you that what lies beyond the darkness only comes out at night. We Only Come Out At Night is available only in print and can be found at slavicstore.company.site or at the Greenhand Bookshop at greenhandbookshop.com. In one of the numerous articles written about Sarah in the trial, Almira Miles claimed to have been visited by Sarah's spirit. During the night, she would often hear knocking and other such noises. Elmira would call out to her old friend but no response was ever given. Despite this, Almira knew it was Sarah and felt comforted by her presence. The decades following Sarah's death, others would report of seeing or hearing Sarah in different areas of town. Some reports were from the site of her former home. William Truergie's former home and at her original burial site in the Silver Lake area. On April 27, 2013, my former paranormal team and I went to the William Truergy house to investigate. We spent about 5 or 6 hours there trying to reach out to William, Sarah, or anything else that might be there. The following is a report of our investigation that I wrote in 2013. The current occupants of the old farmhouse on Pine Street in Bucksport have experienced numerous incidents of paranormal activity. They have heard footsteps going up and down the stairs, three pictures in a room fell off the wall. The door to the downstairs bathroom has opened on its own and they are hearing their own names being said. Using their smartphones, they have captured EVPs and a friend was scratched on their back. We arrived on site at 9.30 p.m. After introductions, our host gave us a tour of the home. After the tour, talking about the location and looking over a book and websites about the home, we grabbed our gear and started setting up. All four investigators unpacked the gear, switched out old batteries, and did an EMF sweep of the location. Once completed, we all grabbed digital recorders, K2s, and flashlights and went on our way. The investigation started with a team in the basement and a team upstairs. We had a brief moment of EMF spikes while in the basement, but we were unable to recreate them. After this, while conducting an EVP session, we asked if there was anyone else in the basement with us. To our surprise, we heard with our own ears, no. Also, while in the basement during our EVP session, Kim, one of the investigators, cited something she could not explain. It was long and white and looked like a smoky ribbon. It went from left to right and disappeared into a wall. The team upstairs did not experience or document any activity so we decided to swap locations. A few taps and noises were heard but ultimately proved inconclusive. We eventually moved on to the large living room and conducted another EVP session. We asked the homeowner and a friend she had with her to join us. During this EVP session, we heard multiple loud noises originating from the kitchen. Also, the homeowner's cat seemed to respond and hiss at something that wasn't there. And the friend of the homeowner was actually scratched on his right calf. This scratch occurred as four of us were walking back into the living room. One of our investigators was right behind him, and that ensured that he didn't run into anything, that it wasn't the cat, and he was not observed scratching himself. The rest of the investigation brought us a couple of cold spots, temperature fluctuations, and more peculiar activity from the cat. We ended the investigation at approximately 2.33 a.m., we thanked our hosts, and departed. Evidence review was conducted during the following week, and documented evidence included a few unrecognizable sounds, taps, knocks, and numerous tonal EVPs. Alright, that's the end of the report. Y'all want to hear some of those EVPs? Okay, here we go. The first EVP is that audible no response that we heard in the basement. You'll hear Kim talking, and then the no, and then Kim and I talking. The no is repeated a few times at
1: the end. Is there anyone else besides Mr. Warshake down here? Who was that? I don't know. It
0: almost sounded like it said no. Yeah. Alright, this next EBP is creepy. It was also recorded in the basement. It'll start off by you hearing some muffled talking in the background, and then a deep voice comes in. It's repeated three times at the end. I'll tell you what we think it's saying after you hear it. Did you catch it? We think it's saying shut your mouth. I'll play it again so you don't have to rewind. Okay, this next EVP was captured at the top of the basement stairs. You'll hear what sounds like a lot of banging and then a whispered voice comes on. That banging is actually just the old stairs creaking because the recorder was sitting on the stairs. Again, I'll tell you what we think after you hear it. Did you get that one? We think it's a whisper saying, somebody there? I'll play it again. We happened to be recording on our audio devices when a man named Warren, a friend of the homeowner, was scratched on his calf. The original clip was kind of long, so I cut it down for time. But here you go. I figured we could continue with the EVP from.
1: All right. Yeah, let me uh, let me set up one of the IR games. Wow, yeah, my legs
0: burning. Your legs burning? Oh, yeah. That friggin' hurts. Hurt.
1: Deal. That friggin burns. That's it. That looks like a scratch right there.
0: Oh shit. Right here?
1: Yep. Yeah. Friggin burns. bastard. See it, bud? Yeah.
0: I'm trying not to move my legs sorry oh, it's very good over here. Hurts. I've also included a couple of pictures of the scratch and a few other pics from that night on our Instagram page that is uh, 207 believe. okay so this final EVP from that night in 2013 is quite interesting. We also caught it in the basement. You'll hear some clicks and then a whisper. It's repeated three times at the end and then three more times slowed down. I'll tell you what we think it's saying afterwards. We think it could possibly be Sarah saying, he killed me, I'll play it again. What do you think? Is it a stretch? Just something that we made ourselves here due to what we know about the case? I'm not sure. But little did I know then, this would not be my last haunting run in with the Sarah Ware mystery. Fast forward 8 years, in October of 2021, I was doing some research on haunted trails in my home state of Maine. I was looking for places that I could bring my bicycle with me and also go to some haunted locations. I found the old narrow gauge trail, which I did a Halloween episode on, Uh, go check that out if you haven't yet. But I also found some information on the Silver Lake trails in Bucksport. To my surprise people have claimed to see the headless ghost of Sarah Ware wandering the trails. In doing some research, I found that Sarah's body, among numerous other townspeople who used to be buried at an old cemetery located in the Silver Lake area, were actually moved from that area. A Bangor Daily News article stated quote, In the 1930s, all of the graves in the cemetery were dug up and relocated when a dam was built. Silver Lake expanded over the site. I went to the trails on October 28, 2021. The following on site recordings is what I experienced while I was there. The first clip is when I entered the trail and made my way down to the shore trail that sits on one of the edges of Silver Lake. And I apologize now for some of the wind in this clip. I'm at the trailhead for the Silver Lake trails in Bucksport, Maine. And we're going to go through the trail system. We're going to stop along the way, do some EVP sessions, and also see if we can catch a glimpse. Of Sarah Ware reports have come in that it is the ghostly image of a headless body all right gonna go down the trail and go and go through some of the offshoots and uh, see what we can find okay I've made it down to the Shore Trail this brings you right to the edge of the Silver Lake I've taken some pictures that'll be on Instagram very calm very serene it's gorgeous when I pulled in I was definitely the only one on the trail I guess with a car but you have to drive in a little bit so I'm I'm pretty sure I'm the only one out here right now it's about two o'clock in the afternoon sightings have occurred early morning and also during rainy foggy days not an ideal time for me to be here on a sunny day at 2 p.m. or so but we'll see what we can find gonna hang out here do a quick evp session sarah are you out here with us you can't miss me i'm wearing an orange blazing orange hat so if you can see me, please feel free to walk up and just scream your name right into what I'm holding in my hand. There's some high-pitched sounds off in the distance that you might be hearing, and that's just some crew work that's happening uh, down the road a ways. If anybody's here, Sarah or anyone else, I would absolutely love to talk to you. Can you please make yourself known in some way? I'm seeing something down the path, way at the end of the path. I don't know what it is, though. I suppose it could be a person... Who has since parked up at the trailhead and is making their way down. I, of course, am on my bicycle and what I've seen is looks like somebody walking. It was just a quick sighting of what I thought was somebody walking. It's not freaking me out though. I don't, I don't feel weird. I don't feel creeped out. So it could have been just a bird. I don't know. Could have been, could have been a deer. here by myself this time Kyle is not with me gorgeous day though we've had a few days of rain two really straight days of rain so it's nice to see things drying out and sunnier and can get around a little bit easier all right I'm gonna move on down the trail okay well I've come across a clearing with a picnic table and a fire pit down the trail aways probably a quarter mile from the other trail that I shot off from and it's just nice and quiet and serene, nothing but trees all around and I'm going to sit at the picnic table and see, see what's doing See if anyone's here. Invite somebody to sit with me. Sarah, or anybody that might be around. I'm inviting you over to the picnic table. Come sit down with me, and let's talk. Wind's picking up a bit. Sarah, can you tell us what happened to you? Just saw somebody else. I don't know. Let's see what this is. Well, that was weird. So I'm sitting in this clearing. You have to turn into it and go into the woods a little bit from the trail. So there's a little thicket of woods between this clearing and the trail and through the trees where it's I've got a clear shot of the trail somebody just walked by on the trail and looking at the opening for where the clearing is that I came into nobody crossed by it they're maybe 15 feet apart and I should have seen somebody emerge I also didn't hear them. I, I, I'm probably 20 feet from the trail and I didn't even hear the leaves crunching because it's obviously it's uh, just before Halloween. It's the 28th of October 2021 and the woods are littered with leaves. And I didn't hear any crunching from somebody walking or jogging. And I say jogging because it went by kind of fast, but it was clearly a person. Person with a head. <laughs> but I didn't, they didn't continue down the trail. So that means they're, if it is a real person, they're hiding in this thicket right by the opening of the clearing because they're insane they know I'm here and want to attack me or it's some sort of otherworldly being whether that's a ghost or whatever you want to call it, you know I don't feel I don't feel anything though other than the unease of seeing somebody and then not seeing them where I should have. Let's call out and see if it is in fact a person hiding, hiding at the thicket on the other side of where I'm at. Is there anybody over there? I just saw you jog by. There's absolutely no answer. It's completely silent now other than the wind. Creaking of trees swaying a little bit. Nothing in the woods that I can see surrounding me. Okay, I'm cutting in here because something was captured on audio, but I also wanted to reflect on what I saw that day. It all seemed just so normal to be sitting there and see someone jog by. I just didn't hear anybody walking or jogging and that was a big part of why I thought it might not have been a person. Also, I should have seen that person go by the entrance to that picnic table area. And I didn't. It was surreal but not scary, if I'm making sense there. Also, I uh, just realized I failed to describe what they look like. So it was a side view because the trail ran parallel to where I was sitting at the table. To me, it looked like a woman, head intact. She had long black hair and a ponytail. She had some red and white on her shirt or top. And I did not observe her legs as they were shrouded by the thicket. And I would estimate her height at around 5'6", five, 5'8", five, something like that. I just don't know what I saw. Okay, for the audio I captured, after I said nothing in the woods that I can see surrounding me, there's an odd sound. No idea what it is, but I repeat it three times longer and then three short bursts. Maybe you can tell me what you think it is. I did not hear it while I was there. Nothing in the woods that I can see surrounding me. a tree fall in the area. I just heard something. Cutting in again, sorry if this is annoying, but I caught something else here. It almost sounds like a sneeze to me. It's after I say a lot of tree fall in the area. Here it is again repeated three times longer and then three short bursts. So, not sure what that is, but wanted to share it here. Okay, back to the recording. It picks up right after I heard whatever it is we just listened to. I just heard something. I don't know if the recorder picked it up. Hello? All right, let's go back to my original questioning, Sarah, I wanted to know if you could tell us what happened to you. Who hurt you? They've never been brought to justice. I'm sure in the editing process I'm cutting out a lot of this silence. But I've been sitting at this picnic table for maybe 20 minutes now. And I saw that person, or whatever it was, maybe five minutes into me being here. Well, you know, after I started doing the EVP questions Haven't seen or heard anything since. Going to move on to the another area. Okay, well I've been riding for about 15, 20 minutes now, but my progress has been real slow. There's tons of tree roots and rocks and tough to navigate with all of the leaf litter. So it's been slow going. But I'm to another area. There was a... Looks like a post for a sign to tell me what the trail was, but... The sign portion is missing. I don't know if it's under these leaves here... Or what, but... So I'm not exactly sure where I am. I'm just about another mile down the trail or so. I figured this would be as good a spot as any. Hey Sarah. Or anybody that might be out here. Do you think you could let me know that you're here in some way? I don't know if you can touch me or throw a rock or stick. Maybe you could whistle. If you heard that whistle, that was a bird. I haven't felt creeped out at all being in here. Not like that portion of the old narrow gauge trail where I got that moment of creepiness even though I maybe saw either two different people oh, plane going overhead just waiting for that plane to go yeah, so before the plane was right over us I was saying that I haven't felt creeped out at all Nothing like when I was at the old Narrow Gauge Trail in Randolph. Even though I saw either two people or two entities, if it were two people, I haven't run into them again. Also, the second person that I saw was clearly a person jogging or moving quickly. I didn't hear the crunch of leaves, nor did they emerge from the entrance of the clearing that I was in. And they would have had to. And once I left the clearing, there was nobody hiding there to jump out and scare me or whatever. They either should have been there or I don't know what the hell I saw. Hopefully there's some UVPs here. Sarah, was that you I saw earlier? If it was, or if it was honestly anybody that might be here, could you show yourself again? I'm kind of in the center of three intersecting trails. Can you show yourself on one of the paths? Definitely not seeing anything. Not hearing anything out of the ordinary. Looking for an obvious sign that somebody is in these woods with me. Could you please do something? To let me know that you are, in fact, hearing me. I don't know if the recorder picked it up, but I'll obviously enhance it during editing to see if it did, but I heard two distinct, I guess, footsteps behind me. Just cutting in to tell you that the recorder did not pick that up. Okay, back to the recording. I mean, it's really just crunches of leaves, but, you know, it had that solidness to it. You know, like it was stepping on the ground. I don't know if you can hear this. That's me. It obviously wasn't that loud, but... But no one's there. I'm not getting goosebumps or the creepy feeling. just still pretty chill. Okay, we've been in this little portion of the trail here for... About 15 minutes or so. 17, actually. And gonna take off gonna continue on but if you're with me just hop on the bike run run alongside me let's let's keep going down the trail together on to the next part all right looks like i came to a portion where right adjacent to the trail is looking like some new property is being built I'm seeing a bunch of different homes, some trailers, some really nice homes, all brand new built. That's a lot of the construction sounds that we were hearing earlier, if the recorder picked them up. And, you know, there is a theory with hauntings that construction, renovations, things like that, could stir up hauntings and something happening so close to the trail there's actually an offshoot from the trail that goes into this new development and I'm not sure if it's private property or not there's not a sign so I think I might go check it out if there was a sign I wouldn't but who knows if that could be stirring up some activity on at the very least that portion of the trail so I'll go check that out and I'll I'll report back or I'll report if I'm able to stop there and, uh, and record properly. I am back in the car and made it up the steep hill that leads to the trailhead. And, uh, it's about 4.30 now. I think I got here right around 1.30. So I spent a good amount of time in there. I did have two sightings of something. The first one that i had which i believe was by the shore trail that was very fleeting and it was looking like i saw someone walk walking on the trail but it was through some trees so that really literally could have been maybe just a a bird or a deer flying by or walking by and i mistook it but the second one when i was in that clearing and looking through the trees to the trail, which I was only about 20 feet away from. And they moved fast, like they were jogging. I wouldn't say a full run, but it was faster than walking. And I saw them very quick. There was kind of two trees in a clearing right in the middle of the two tree trunks. And I saw them go right by it. It was clearly a person. If I were to describe them, I would say it was a woman, maybe 5'8", 5'10". Uh, long black hair in a ponytail. Oh, <laughs> I guess I did describe them a little bit. They didn't emerge because after that clearing, there's a thicket of woods. On the other side of that thicket of woods is the entrance to that clearing with the picnic table that I was at. And I could see right out the entrance of where the clearing is. They did not emerge there. And only being 20 feet away, I didn't hear them, you know, jogging or, you know, I didn't hear any footsteps. I really feel like I saw something. It wasn't scary. Again, it was fleeting, but I could I could tell it was it was someone. And it makes me feel like I I saw somebody. It it's just trail in that area. There isn't an offshoot that's near that picnic table. It's just a trail that runs alongside of it and right off an offshoot of that trail is this clearing. That's it right in that area. I did hear what I thought were some footsteps along the way, here and there, literally could have been anything. You're in the woods, you're outside, it's windy, there's animals. So it's really easy to discount almost anything. So I'll be very curious to listen to this, all of these recordings back and, and see if we've caught any audible EVPs and something of substance, you know, voices, uh, intelligent responses would be amazing. But we'll see. We'll see what we find. All right, going to head out and uh and get back home. Might have to get a coffee first. I don't even I don't care what any of y'all think. I'm going to go get a pumpkin coffee. Yep. All right. Signing off. Well, as you can tell by now, I didn't capture any tonal EVPs, just a couple of weird sounds. Regardless, it was fun to be out there, and I'll be excited to head back out once the weather gets better. I'm recording this during a few different days towards the end of March 2022, and the weather hasn't been very cooperative for trail riding. At least for me, I'm not a big fan of the mud. but. Soon enough, summer will be here, and I'll make my way back out to the Silver Trails, and hopefully, I'll see what I saw again. I did recently stop at the Oak Hill Cemetery, where Sarah is now buried. I'll put a picture of her headstone on our Instagram page, 207 Believe. Thanks so much for joining me on this large-sized bonus episode of the I Want to Believe podcast. We kind of ran the gamut on this, and I appreciate you all coming along for the ride. Season 5 is now out and streaming. We've got 10 all-new episodes covering everything from UFO landings to black-eyed kids, cults, and more if you can check out my books and other projects at slavicstore.company.site and if you want give us a follow on our instagram at 207 believe there's more bonus episodes on the way and i just wanted to thank you for your support and thanks so much for listening i'm no More slavic